following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought, every wrinkle, every spot will be in view. Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him from the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of His name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath 
You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm The word of the Lord came to John Bunyan. Wilt thou leave thy sin and go to heaven or have thy sins and go to hell? That word of the Lord completely changed John Bunyan's life he recognized that there was a problem in his life and that problem was called sin. He was sent to prison for 12 years because he wanted to talk about sin and he wanted to preach redemption and forgiveness. While in prison, he wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. This was back sometime after 1628. The first chapter of Pilgrim's Progress opens with John Bunyan writing, As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I came to a certain place where there was a cave and I lay down in that place to sleep. Of course, that cave he has reference to is the prison house at Bedford. As I slept, I dreamed a dream, and in this dream I saw a man clothed in rags, standing in a place with his face turned away from his own house. He had a book in his hand and a heavy burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and begin to read. And as he read, he wept and trembled. Not being able to contain himself, he cried out in a loud voice, What shall I do? In this condition, he went home and tried to keep himself for as long as he could, so that his wife and children would not see him in such distress. But after a short time, his anguish had increased so much that he could not remain silent. So he began to share with his wife and his children what was on his troubled mind. And this is what he told them. Dear wife and children, I am greatly troubled by this burden that torments me. 
and grows and weighs so heavily upon me. Moreover, I have received information that the city in which we live will be burned with fire from heaven. When this happens, all of us will be destroyed unless by a way I do not yet see some way of escape can be found so that we may be delivered. Hearing this, his family was greatly amazed, not because they believed what he said to them was true, but because they thought he was losing his mind. That's the introduction to Pilgrim's Progress. There is a great seduction taking place today in America and most especially in the American church. That seduction causes men and women to not believe that sin is serious, to take the position that Jesus, when he died on Calvary, forgave all of my past, present, and future sins that I can never leave my sin, that I will always be a sinner before God. Almost every person I speak with about this, that's the position they hold. Now, what does that lead to? A young woman that I have known for many years met, a wonderful young guy. And what did they do? They moved in with each other. So now they fornicate. Now they are shacked up with each other. And God's judgment is upon them. And they will be destroyed when the fire comes. And needless to say, Washington, D.C. will burn, along with the rest of this nation. America will burn. It will be destroyed because of sin. But you see, this young person believes that at the cross of Jesus, all of the past, present, and future sins were forgiven. And so this young person believes that they are saved and on their way to heaven and that it's okay if they fornicate as long as they're in a a committed relationship with another man or with a man, it's okay. You see, we have brought our own experience and our own lifestyle And we've put that together with the false teaching of the church. Yes, your past sins can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Your present sins have not yet been forgiven until you utterly repent and turn from that sin. And your future sins, they still stand before you. They've not been forgiven. You're not saved, and then you can sin as you choose. 
The seduction is that I can do this myself. I can do this my way. My life belongs to me. I'm in charge of my own life. Now, what's going to happen that's so terrifying to me is that instead of pastors coming, getting a backbone, and beginning to teach the honest gospel of Jesus as it is recorded in the scriptures, if you question what I mean, read carefully Romans, the sixth chapter, or read carefully First John, especially the third chapter, and many other places I could reference the man or the woman who sins will die and go to hell unless there is a total reformation in their life. They leave their life of sin. They are washed by the blood of Jesus. They are made holy by the blood of Jesus. And they no longer walk in rebellion and sin against the Almighty God. Only those will be saved. The rest will be cast into the lake of fire. So the problem that I see coming and it's coming like a, a freight train. You have Bethel Church, and you have other congregations. You have a church known as the Potter's House. Not the one here in D.C., but the one in the south. You have, you have many different churches. They're all teaching the same lying gospel. You have Joel Olstein in the West every Sunday teaching lies to God's people. Now, what's going to happen? Well, these men are not going to change and begin to preach an honest gospel of Jesus. Instead, a great seduction, even greater than what we've now known, is about to come upon the church. That seduction is known by some as the kundalini spirit. I was sitting in an Anglican church, and it was supposed to be a revival meeting. I sat and listened to a New Zealand pastor who had come to preach a revival message in that church. And I noticed that people around me began to jerk. Like that, if you're watching the YouTube video. I saw the same jerking when I went to Toronto a number of years ago for what was supposed to be a revival there catch the fire. It was not a revival at all. It was demonic. Well, I was sitting listening to this New Zealand pastor with his wonderful brogue. And people were so excited. They were excited to see the sick healed. They were excited to see the power, so-called, of God moving in that congregation. 
I went home heartsick because I knew what John Wesley had said. He said that when people begin to jerk like that, it's because they are resisting the Holy Spirit and refusing to repent for their sin. I watched that take place that night. Nowhere in that whole presentation about the coming Holy Spirit and the revival that they could see beginning right there in their own midst, nowhere was one word said to that congregation about the need to repent and leave their sin. That was not part of the message. The message was God loves you just like you are. His love is unconditional. Enjoy now the presence of the Holy Spirit. Enjoy the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Now I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm not a prophet. I am a watchman on the wall. A great delusion is coming on the church in America. And if possible, even the very elect will be deceived. Pastors across this nation are going to receive such an anointing of power. It'll be like a David Copperfield show. People will get healed. They'll be restored financially. They will be greatly encouraged in their way. They will believe that God is present. They will believe that that this is the true revival of God. And it won't be. It'll be a demonic spirit. First on the pastor, because he's never repented and turned and been made holy by the Lord. He's still full of the world. He's still full of the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Many will be homosexual pastors, or they'll be pastors who love the power and the money and the influence. They've never humbled their hearts before God. Their greatest desire is to be somebody and to be successful. And now this power has come to them and it's giving them the ability to draw even larger crowds to be somebody, to heal the sick, to restore. The devil can do all of that. It's not just God who heals, the devil heals too. Many years ago, one woman went to a healing service like this. She was dying. She was sick. She went forward and they laid hands on her and she was healed. When she returned home, she found she had no desire to pray. She had no desire to read the scriptures. She suddenly discovered that the Holy Spirit had totally left her. She got down on her knees after several weeks of this excruciating absence of the Holy Spirit in her life that she was so accustomed to. 
And she cried out to the Lord and she said, Lord, I wanted to be healed so badly that I put that above you. And I worshipped being healed. That was not you, was it? Because you would not take from me a love for the word of God. You would not take from me a love for prayer and intercession. So, Lord, would you please return my sickness to me? If along with that sickness, you will return to me my love for your word and my love for for worshiping you. And immediately the sickness came back on her. And with that sickness came the exquisite love for Jesus. She had been deceived. Now, yes, Jesus healed. And at the end of time, we are going to see revival. And in that revival, people are going to be healed of their sicknesses. But I want to tell you, The revival at the end of time that is true will not be marked by signs and wonders. The revival at the end of time will be marked by men and women repenting of their sin, leaving their sins, and being made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And in that context, many will also be healed of their sicknesses. This will be a great seduction that will sweep through the whole Christian church. And many will finally be locked in completely and totally to a belief in the sinning Christian. And nothing can be said to them that will turn them aside from their sin. Why? Because they love their sin. They love their lifestyle. They love the ease with which they live. They love doing for themselves and not trusting in Jesus. And we're going to see a great seduction as men and women are finally locked into their sinful, worldly, lust for pleasure and power and money, lifestyle, and they will be lost and they'll go to hell. And hell is going to be filled with many, many who call themselves Christians who have never gotten serious with Jesus about their life. They have gone to the seeker-sensitive, friendly churches where they're told how wonderful they are, how much God loves them, and how much he's going to prosper them, and they're going to be wealthy. I'm hearing even now men like Robin Bullock. If ever there was a man who was a false prophet, this man is one. But there are many others 
who are claiming the, the great prosperity that's coming for the church, the great blessing of Jesus that will make life so easy and so wonderful. No. Signs and wonders, miracles. That's not what is going to save a person at the end of time. You see, sin is like a lion crouching at the door. It's alive. It's well. It has much power. That sin desires to have you. That sin wants to eat you alive. He wants utter deception to come into your life so that you believe a lie. Seduction comes, and when seduction comes, we forget about reality, and we focus then only on what our flesh wants. And in one place, we would say, oh, I would never do that until the seduction comes. And then we begin to say in our hearts, you know, come on. There's nothing, it's not that bad. There's nothing wrong with it. And off we go, the wickedness of our heart, stolen away by the darkness. When we finish whatever it is, there's a sense of dirtiness about us, especially with sexual sins, whether it's masturbation or fornication. Sodomy. There's an uncleanness in our spirit. And we know it. And we say, I'm not going to do that again until the next time. Oh, my brother, my sister. Is your primary concern the money you make, the career you want, the education you desire? Is your primary concern about getting enough money to pay for your bills, to take care of your family? Is your primary concern about what you have to do to take care of business? Jesus came up out of baptism. The dove came down. The Holy Spirit rested upon him. And you would think that he would now head for the main center at the temple in Jerusalem and begin his ministry, but he doesn't. Instead, the Spirit leads him into the desert to be tested by the devil. The devil does that to every one of us. He tests us to see how we will stand and will we succumb? Will we give in for what the devil is offering us? Will the seduction turn our hearts 
or will we decide in soberness of mind and heart that we will have only Jesus? Jesus fasted for 40 days. I've never done a 40-day fast. 30 days is really the longest I've fasted. After 40 days, it says he was hungry. Desperately hungry. And the devil came to him. And he said, if you are the son of God, then speak to that. uh, Speak so that these stones might become loaves of bread. In other words, Jesus, you're hungry. Use your own power and create for yourself what you desire. You can do for yourself what you need to do. You're hungry. You're starving to death. You've been fasting for 40 days. You need some fresh, hot bread. And you can make it right here. You have the power. I don't believe the devil was really saying, are you the son of God? No, he knew this was the son of God. But he also knew that that son of God might be tempted into taking care of himself. And that is the greatest seduction. Do for yourself what no one else will do, for you are responsible for your own life. You know the saying. If it's going to be, it's up to me. That was the devil's word to him. That was Robert Schuller's word to his congregation. If you go to that beautiful crystal cathedral today, you'll see that it's now owned by the Catholics. He lost it. His family, after he retired, got into a bitter fight. And finally, it destroyed the whole church. If it was going to be, it was up to him. But the problem was he got old and frail and couldn't preach anymore. And then everything he thought he had created evaporated into thin air. And with shame, disappeared. And the devil took it. If you are the son of God, then speak so that these stones might become loaves of bread. That's the seduction. You can take care of yourself and you don't trust God. You don't trust Jesus. He knows you're human. He knows you're a sinner. He's already forgiven you and you're good to go and you can't lose your place. You're once saved. You're always saved. You've confessed the name of Jesus. You're on the way to heaven. No, you're not. Not until you have repented of your sins and you have left them behind and you've been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. Until that happens, you're lost. He answers, it stands written, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word coming out of the mouth of God. 
He knew that he needed bread to eat. But he also knew that that bread had to come by way of the hand of God, not by his hand. Now, that's so contrary to everything we have believed as Americans. If it's going to be, it's up to me. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, and I'm tough, and I'm going to go out and make my money. Oh, do you know how many people I know who tried as hard as they could to become wealthy? And today they live on Social Security. They never made it. Never making it was a blessing from Jesus for them because now in their old age they are faced with will I or will I not trust Jesus for my provision? And America is going to be brought into this same place. We're going to see all of this wonderful seduction of demonic power moving in the churches with signs and wonders and and David Copperfield kind of magic. But then, they're going to lose everything. Then they're going to have to decide. Will they repent? If God is gracious, he'll give them one more chance to repent. He may not, however, if their cups are full. They'll lose everything and die of starvation. There's a passage of scripture I want to pull my Bible over. It's found in... Isaiah. Isaiah 50. I'm going to begin reading for you in verse 10. Isaiah 50, verse 10. I urge you sometime today, go there and read this passage. Isaiah 10, Isaiah 50, verses 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? But who is the servant? Obviously, he's speaking prophetically here about Jesus. Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? What is his word? Leave your sin and go to heaven. Or keep your sin and go to hell. That was the word that came to John Bunyan. Please, would you just hear me? You're going to have to look very carefully at your life and how you stand before a holy God. If you don't do that now, you will have to do that before the judgment bar of God when it's too late to receive forgiveness, when it's too late to turn from your sin, and your 
Your name won't be in the Lamb's book of life, and you'll be bound hand and foot. And the scriptures tell us in Revelation that angels will pick you up as you are bound, and you will be conscious. You will be aware of what's happening, and they will carry you and literally throw you like garbage into the pit of fire. where you will spend your eternity in torment. If you don't examine your own life, God will examine it for you as he passes the final judgment on your life. The call is to leave all sin now, to stop compromising Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. That is, not walking in the darkness of sin, but walking in the darkness of, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to solve this problem. Jesus doesn't know how God is going to solve the problem of his great hunger and his weakness. That means he will die before he can walk out of that desert. He knows that if he does not have food, he will die out there. I've been in that place where either God came and delivered me or I would die of hunger. And he, by his majesty, came and delivered me. I'm not speaking of that which I do not know and have not experienced personally here. Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, In other words, you you have no clue about how to solve the problem that you're facing. You need money. I'm facing that right now, by the way. There's not enough money to pay for December yet, for radio. Am I going to have to go off the air in January? Maybe. It's in Jesus' hands. Either he moves in some of your hearts, as he has been, and provides what is necessary to pay for radio, or I'm off air. And then what do I do? I don't know. I have no light. I'm walking in darkness with total uncertainty. But I am trusting in the name of the Lord, and I am relying on my God, because he will come, and he will make plain his will. How did he do that for Jesus in that desert place? Well, when the temptations were over, angels of God came and ministered to Jesus and gave him the strength to walk out of that desert. 
Do you have that confidence in Jesus? You know, I I have another situation. I drive an older car. It's not worth much. But I'm hearing strange noises in the transmission. Now, is that because it's so cold? Or is the transmission at well over 200,000 miles on a Hyundai, is it finally going out? Well, I don't know. I'm not responsible. I trust in the name of the Lord for the car he wants me to drive. I rely on my God. Now, I'm telling you these two things, radio and car, not because I want you to do anything about it. I'm not asking for anything. I'm doing it to tell you in a very practical manner that for my very life, my transportation, my housing, my food. In every way, I trust in the name of the Lord. I do not provide for myself. I obey the word of the Lord. I do what he tells me to do, and I trust him, and he provides for me and carries me. You can walk the same way with Jesus. Verse 11, but now... All you who light fires, that is, all of you who create your own life so you can see the way before you, all of you who light your own fires, you provide yourselves with flaming torches so that you can know how to make your way out of this crisis. He says, go walk in the light of your torches. Go go walk in the light of your own fire. And of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. In the end, you will lie down in torment. Because those things that you thought you could do to deliver yourself will prove utterly faulty. This is Isaiah chapter 50. Verses 10 and 11. Now let me just read the whole thing to you. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, Go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you've set ablaze. And this is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. The great seduction that we face in the church and in our personal lives is we become hungry We see the stones, and we say not to worry. I can take care of myself. Oh, I'll keep a sentimental God in my life. I'll say that I'm a Christian. But in your inner being, you know you do not trust the Lord your God. 
in your inner being, you know you can cover your situation. You can provide for yourself. And off to the races you go. And you plan your life around what you know you can provide for yourself. Oh, we can go on this cruise. We can take this vacation. We can go here. We can go there. We can buy this car. We can buy this house. We can buy this furniture. We can have whatever entertainment we like. We know we can cover it all. It's all you. It's all human. It's all, it's all your skill. Isaiah said, in the end, you'll lie down in torment. You're not always going to be young and virile and have all of that energy and that strength and that ability to go and make your way in the world. You're going to lose all of that. The Lord is saying, stands written, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word coming out of the mouth of God. So, do you live by going and getting your own bread and creating your own reality and walking in your own flesh? Do you believe this sentimental lie that you're saved and God loves you unconditionally and you're on your way to heaven and you don't need to worry about sin because God forgave all of your past, present, and future sins? You're a child of God. What are you going to do when the mark of the beast comes? Are you going to say, oh, I can take the mark of the beast because I'm saved and all of my sins were forgiven and this sin is just another sin and God will forgive me. Really? See, here's the problem. We have not spent the time to actually read and understand what the scriptures say for ourselves. Instead, we read the scripture and we apply the lying preacher's words. So the real meaning is hidden for us. But if you read Romans 6 or you read the gospel of or the the first epistle of John, and you read the third chapter, it's absolutely clear. Sin has to be dealt with. You're going to have to deal with the question of sin. Again, I'm going to turn to this. John Bunyan. You know, by the way, he was not an Arminian. He believed in Calvinism. Seminary, I was assigned reading the Institutes and reporting and summarizing. And probably the most stunning thing that I read from John Calvin was what he said you cannot separate justification from sanctification. You can't separate them. His belief was that you had to be made holy by the power of the blood of Jesus. 
there was no such thing for, for Calvin as being justified, being forgiven all of your past sins, and then being good to go. That came later when they twisted his words. So John Bunyan was, in fact, a Reformed Christian. I use him because he did not believe in the sinning Christian. He believed that a man had to leave his sin, had to be forgiven for that sin, and had to be made righteous by the blood of Jesus. He didn't believe in works. I don't either. I believe in a faith that works. I believe in a faith given by God that transforms a man and makes him holy by the blood of Jesus. I don't believe that you can clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus by the power of the blood of Jesus. He calls you. You're washed. You're made clean as you repent. Repentance is the door of entrance into the kingdom of God. So the word of the Lord came to John Bunyan. Wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven? Or have thy sins and go to hell? That's what the word of the Lord was to John Bunyan. That's the word of the Lord to you and to me today. Tomorrow we will continue with this issue of the great seduction that was attempted in Jesus' life by the devil. And needless to say, he did not give way to that seduction like so many of us have, like all of us have. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be utterly, totally, and completely delivered from the seducing spirit that is only growing stronger and stronger and will finally wrap up almost the entire Christian church. And it will go for the seduction. Well, I would love to hear from you. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online and help us cover this month's radio bill. Thank you, Dirk, for the gift that you've sent. And for each one of you who has so kindly given, I stand by faith. I'll hear from you. This broadcast is in the hands of Jesus. Now let's pray. Lord, I stand by faith that this word comes straight from your heart. And that each who has listened to it will respond and will deal honestly with you regarding their sin, 
that they will not be seduced into trying to provide for themselves a way out of their situation. That that they will trust you, Almighty God, in all that they do. That you are the Savior of mankind. And that your blood was shed on Calvary to wash and cleanse us and to change us, to make us holy. Lord, I thank you that your blood has that power. And you have opened a fountain for us that we can come and repent and cry aloud to you and take responsibility for our own wicked hearts and find a place of refuge in you, Jesus. I ask you to turn the x-ray machine on every person who listens to this broadcast. Make plain to each of us whatever the sin is, if there be any, that's blocking us from your precious kingdom. Lord, come in power. Come in glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you today. I love you. I'm glad you've listened. Please hear and respond. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. With